morning, everybody, and welcome to church this morning. Uh, a long weekend, everybody is gone, and so we just have a few of us here this morning. So you have to put up with me and my guitar for music. And uh, like I said in the email, it's going to be country and western service. I just hope there's no line dancing that breaks out during this. We start off with uh, just a good old uh, hymn of praise to God whom we're here to worship this morning. It's glory to his name. Okay, let's stand up quickly. Down at the cross where the Savior died. Down where for cleansing from sin I cried. There to my heart was the blood applied. Glory to His name. Glory to His name. Glory to His name. There to my heart was the blood applied. Glory to His name. I am so wondrously saved from sin. Jesus so sweetly abides within. There at the cross where He took me. each and every one of you this morning. I uh, woke up this morning and I thought of uh, how blessed we are in this country, even though we have to uh, put up with it. It's nothing. To be at church and to worship Him is everything. We need to be thankful because obviously there's lots of places on this world that don't have that privilege. Let's read the call to worship together. Shout joyfully to the Lord. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being able to be here this morning. We just know that lots are 
busy and uh, visiting or gone for the weekend, being a long weekend. We just pray safety for those and that those who watch later, that they will be blessed by your word this morning in song and in word. And uh, ask your blessing upon this service. In your name we pray. Amen. And uh, Penny is going to read her scripture. So this morning I'm going to read 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 1 to 11. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or, the sh or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others. We are asleep, or sorry, who are asleep. But let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we, whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Some predictions about the future that I thought you might find amusing. George Fielding Elliott, back in 1938, is quoted as saying, a Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor is a strategic impossibility. So, <laughs> 10 years later, <laughs> Daryl F. Zanuck, head of 20th Century Fox, said in 1946, Television won't be able to hold any onto any market it captures after the first six months. People will soon get tired of staring at a plywood box every night. <laughs> and then in 1948, uh, the Science Digest declared that, okay, this was 1948, so you uh, do the math in your heads. <laughs> Science Digest declared landing and moving around on the moon offers so many serious problems for human beings that it may take science another 200 years to lick them. <laughs> so 10 years later, they were walking on the moon. 11, I guess. And this personal ad was noted in a newspaper. Yesterday, this is what the ad read, yesterday in this space, I predicted that the world would come to an end. It did not, however. <laughs> I regret any inconvenience this may have caused. <laughs> Predictions of what the future will look like have been around for a very long time. 
as well as predictions about the end of the world, and specifically as to when the end of the world will come. People have been just fascinated with trying to figure out the date that the world will end. And many have tried, and all of them have been wrong. And that's interesting because the Bible never does give us a date. The Bible definitely tells us that the world will end, and that Jesus will return, and then there will come a time of judgment, and then the heavens and the earth will be destroyed, and God will make a new heaven and a new earth, but we are never given a date. In fact, we're told that no one knows the date except God alone. And he has not revealed the date to us, nor has he given us the information we need to figure it out or to calculate it. We just don't have that information. <coughs> but people still obsess with trying to figure it out and try to predict it. So in our study through the book of 1 Thessalonians, we're in the middle of a, of a short section dealing with the return of Jesus. Last week we looked at the end of chapter 4, 4 verses 13 to 18, which deals with the event that we call the rapture. That event in which Jesus returns to gather all Christians, dead and alive, to be with him, to gather them together in the clouds of the air, to be with him for all eternity, never to be parted again. We looked at that in detail last Sunday. Today, as we go on to chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, we see Paul touch on the subject or kind of touch on the subject of, of when. He knew the question that these believers of Thessalonica would have. He knew what, what he said in chapter 4. He knew what, <laughs> what would, uh, where their minds would go and what their question would be. And he knew their question would be when. They were, they were concerned about some of their loved ones, some of their believing loved ones. They had died and Jesus hadn't come back yet. That was their concern. What would happen to them? And Paul answered that concern in that passage we looked at last week. They won't miss out anything. Those who have died are not going to miss out on anything. When Jesus returns, the Christians who have died will rise first, and then those who are still alive will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so we'll always be with the Lord. That was Paul's answer and Paul's assurance to them regarding those who have died. Those who have died are not going to miss out on anything. But the next question that the Thessalonian believers would have had then is, is when? We've been expecting Jesus to return at any time. He still hasn't come. When? When is he going to come? So that's what Paul addresses in this passage we're looking at this morning. But you'll notice as Penny read it, that Paul doesn't answer the question when. At least not in terms of year and month and date. What he does give us is, or what he does do is inform us about the general attitude and feeling what that will be like when Jesus does return. And then give us some teachings about the coming, or the teachings coming out of that. So, so let's look at this passage. We need to understand the coming day of the Lord. And we can under, better understand it by learning the teachings concerning this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11. So three teachings that I see coming out of here. Number one. The coming day of the Lord will be totally unexpected by the non-Christian world. The coming day of the Lord will be totally unexpected by the non-Christian world. I'm looking here at verses 1 through 3. As to the times and the epochs, that's what my translation in New American Standard says, times and epochs, Paul says, they had no need of anything to be written to them. They knew it full well. Let's stop there for a bit. The fact that Paul says they had no need of anything to be written to them about, about this suggests to me that this was something Paul would have covered when he was there with them. Those weeks or months that he was there bringing the gospel to the city of Thessalonica and then teaching the truths of Christianity to those who believed and placed their faith in Jesus. He had already taught them this. And so there was really no need for anything to be written to them about this. So what Paul is writing here is not new information for them, but rather how to apply the information that they already know. But before we go on, I think we need to define a couple of terms that you see there in your Bibles in front of you. Verse 1, my translation says, 
Now for the times and the epochs. Times and epochs. The same phraseology used by Jesus in Acts chapter 1 verse 7. Where Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times and the epochs. That's Acts 1 7. Those of you who have the New International Version, it says times and dates. Uh, you have the New Living Translation, it says how and when. So I'll translate that. So we need to define these terms. The first Greek word translated times in my Bible is the Greek word chronos. And we get our English word chronology from that, from that Greek word. So it's a fairly obvious word. It's, it's talking about chronological time like a calendar date, or time on a clock, or how many hours or days or weeks until an event happens. Chronological time. The second Greek word used here is almost synonymous with that, but, but not quite. It carries with it the idea, more the idea of a, of, of a quality, quality of time. The characteristics or the nature of a time period. You know, those back in the 30s, those were hard times. That's kind of that, <laughs> that idea. The quality of the time. So verse 1 would mean then, as for how long it will be until Jesus returns and what the time will be like when he returns, you have no need of anything to be written to you. That's kind of the sense of, of verse 1. Then we go on to verse 2. And it talks about the day of the Lord. So that's the second thing we need to define here. The day of the Lord. That phrase is used in the Bible to describe the day of the Lord. Is used in the Bible to describe an extended period of time. When the Bible talks about the day of the Lord, it's talking about a time period. An extended period of time when God brings things to an end and brings judgment on the wicked. It's a time when God will very actively and directly and physically intervene in the affairs of this earth. And if you do a study of prophecy, it'll show that there are a number of things that happen during this day of the Lord. And it seems to me that the way this is written, with the connection to the rapture, which Paul just finished talking about in chapter 4, it seems to me that the rapture event will be what starts this period called the day of the Lord. The Christians will be removed from the earth and then immediately God will begin this period of judgment on the earth. This period is called the tribulation period in other parts of the Bible. Uh, and we know from them it's spoken of as a seven year period in which a lot will happen as God pours out judgment on the sinful world. It's also called, numerous times, a period of God's wrath. So, with that background, let's see what Paul is saying here. As for when the day of the Lord will come or begin, or what it will be like when it comes, these Thessalonian believers don't have any need for anything to be written about to them. They've already been taught about this. It will come like a thief in the night, verse 2 says. In other words, it'll be unexpected. It will take people off guard. By surprise. A thief in the night doesn't give advance warning. I have experience with thieves in the night. <laughs> so if any of you ever want to hear a story about a thief in the night, uh, come talk to me. I got a story. Because <laughs> I had experience of a thief coming in the night and waking me up. And I woke up looking down the barrel of a gun. But, so I know about thieves in the night. It's a total shock. It's a total surprise. It's something you are not prepared for. And along with that, it will come at a time when people are saying peace and safety. In other words, at a time when people are feeling safe and secure. Things are at peace. People feel safe and secure in themselves and in their world. All is good. All seems well. Notice it says they in verse 3. While they are saying peace and safety. So Paul is not referring to the Thessalonian believers here. He's referring not to Christians. If he was, he would have used the word we. But he says they. He's talking about the non-Christian world. 
So when they are saying peace and safety, when they feel that all is at peace and that all is well and secure, all is good, they're sleeping well at night because everything is fine, everything is safe, everything's at peace. That's when it will hit. Like a thief in the night. It will catch them totally off guard. It will be a total surprise. And they will not be prepared for that at all. So that's what the times will be like when the day of the Lord comes. And it will come suddenly. It says, like the birth pangs of a woman about to give birth. I, unlike thieves in the night, I have no experience with, <laughs> with birth pangs of a woman. <laughs> Except watching my wife go through it, obviously. <laughs> so, And I don't know if it just hits bang. For some women it does, for some it isn't. But all of a sudden, you know, okay, we're going into labor. <laughs> this is it. There's no going back. We're not stopping this. We're in labor now. It may hit suddenly with that first contraction or maybe a feeling that kind of builds over an hour or two, but, but uh, bang, you all of a sudden, okay, we're going into labor now. It'll be that sudden. And then destruction will hit. Destruction will hit, it says. And they won't escape. They won't escape it. Now remember, we're talking about the non-Christian world here. They are feeling safe and secure. They are not expecting anything bad or unsettling to happen to them. And then, for them, it will very be very sudden and unexpected and totally surprising and chaotic turn of events will happen. As the day of the Lord begins and destruction hits them, there will be no escape. The coming of the Lord will be totally unexpected to the non-Christian world. So if you're not a Christian, when this day comes... This is what it will be like for you. Totally unexpected. Secondly, second teaching here. The coming of the Lord should be totally expected by us as Christians. The coming of the Lord should be totally expected by us as Christians. Moving on here to verse 4 and 5. Notice the total contrast here from verse 3. But you, brethren are not in the darkness that the day should overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night or of the darkness. As Christians, we're not in the darkness like the non-Christian world around us. That day will not overtake us like a thief. It's different for us. We are sons of the light and sons of the day. We're not of the night or of darkness. So there is nothing going on here that will be unexpected for us as Christians. Because we are in the light. We know these things. We know Jesus is coming back. We know he will gather us as Christians out of this world to be with him forever. As Christians, we're expecting that. Now, we obviously don't know when, in terms of the date, or how long a time period there will be between now and the time when Jesus returns, but we do know that it will happen, and we are expecting it. We do know that it could happen at any time. And as I said, you put this together with what it says in chapter 4, verse 13 to 18, which we looked at last week, it, it seems to me, it seems to be saying that Jesus return to gather us as Christians out of this world to himself is the event that kicks off this day of the Lord, which will then commence immediately. And it will be a time of destruction for the non-Christian world that remain on this earth. But this will come as no surprise to us as Christians. Or at least it shouldn't. In fact, it should be totally expected by us as Christians. Because we're of the light. The Bible teaches this. It's been there in the Bible all along. We know this will happen. So for us as Christians, it should be totally expected. Third and final teaching. We as Christians should live in a state of constant readiness for the coming of the Lord. We as Christians should live in a state of constant readiness for the coming of the Lord. That's the rest of this passage, verses 6 through 11. 
And in fact, this is actually the main point of Paul writing this. These Thessalonians had no need of Paul to write anything to them about times and epochs. They already been taught that. They knew the day of the Lord would come like a thief in the night for the non-Christian world, but not for them. They know it's coming. And Paul is writing not to give them new information, but to encourage them and to motivate them to live their day-to-day -day lives in a state of constant readiness for Jesus' return. <coughs> Excuse me, let's read these verses. Verse 6 to 11. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep, do their sleeping at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we're of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as also you are doing. So because we know this is going to happen, and it could happen at any time, Paul says, let's be alert and sober. Let's not, as Christians, allow ourselves to get into a sleepy, forgetful state where we don't even think about Jesus' return. We, where we forget it's going to happen. Or it's totally out of our minds that it's going to happen. Because when that happens, when that gets out of our mind, then it's very easy to start slipping morally. I have a hunch that's what Paul is talking about here when he starts using words like sleeping and drunkenness versus being alert and sober. Those who start slipping in their moral lives are those who have started acting like they're of the night and of the darkness. They're starting to act more like the non-Christian world around them. Paul is telling us, we know Jesus is coming. We know the day of the Lord is coming, and it could have come at any time. So let's act like we are of the day and of the light. Let's stay alert and sober. Friends, knowing that Jesus could return at any time should be a great motivator for us to stay on our guard, morally and spiritually speaking. We're of the day, verse 8 tells us. So let's be sober. Let's stay rational. Let's stay mindful of reality, specifically of the reality of Jesus' imminent return. Let's stay in control of our senses. We've put on the breastplate of, breastplate of faith and love. We've, we've placed our faith in Jesus and all that it means, including faith in his return. We love our Savior. We love those around us. If we're good Christians, we do. <laughs> that faith and love is a breastplate of protection for us. And we held the, as our helmet the hope of our salvation. Our salvation from the penalty of our sin. That's like a helmet for us. Again, for our protection. We aren't destined for wrath, verse 9 says, but for salvation. And there's another reason, by the way, that I say that we as Christians will be gathered up out of this world to be with Jesus before the day of the Lord hits. The day of the Lord will be a time when God pours out his wrath over the sinfulness of the people of this world on earth. But we as Christians are not destined for wrath, verse 9 says, but for obtaining salvation through Jesus Christ. Verse 10, Jesus died for us. He paid the penalty for our sin in our place. So we don't have to pay the penalty for our sin. Because Jesus paid it for us. So we're going to be with him. Whether we are awake or asleep. Meaning, whether we die first or are still alive when Jesus comes back. As explained in that passage we looked at last week. We as Christians will be with Jesus when this wrath is poured out. We're not destined for wrath. But for salvation. So knowing that, let's live lives of alertness. We know this could all happen at any time. So we're expecting it. So let's stay alert. Let's keep our senses about us. Let's be found by Jesus living a life that is pleasing to him when he comes to call us home. Doing the work he's called us to do. And expectantly waiting for his return. Alert and sober. Paul closes this passage in verse 11 with the exhortation that we should encourage one another and build up one another. 
but we can all stay alert and sober and living with that expectancy. We as Christians should be encouraging each other to stay alert and be sober. We should be encouraging each other. We should be building each other up, strengthening each other so we can be alert and sober and stay that way until Jesus comes. We saw last week in chapter 4, verse 18, uh, talking about our being gathered up to meet Jesus in the air, that, that this is a comfort for us as Christians. We should comfort each other with, these, with this great hope that we have to look forward to. And we see the same kind of thing here in chapter 5, verse 11. Encourage each other as Christians. Encourage each other to stay alert and sober. Build up each other so we can stay alert and sober for the Lord's return. There is that encouragement in this teaching about the day of the Lord for us as Christians. Knowing all of this is a comfort and an encouragement for us. But the main point of what Paul is saying here is that as Christians we should live in a state of constant readiness for the coming of our Lord. A joyous expectation doing the work God has called us to. So let's all live in that state of readiness state of expectation. I've known some people who any, upon any talk of the end times or the day of the Lord or the coming of Jesus, they kind of get filled with an anxiety and a fear and a foreboding about that. don't want to talk about that. But that is totally opposite to how it's always presented in the scriptures. The end times, the coming of Jesus is always presented to encourage us, to bring us comfort, to bring us hope. It should be a great thing, something we gladly look forward to. It should be something that excites us when we think about the coming of the Lord for us as Christians. For the non-Christians, not so much. <laughs> but for the Christians, it should be that. So therefore, we see from this passage this morning the teachings that help us better understand the coming day of the Lord. They are, number one, the coming of the Lord will be totally unexpected to the non-Christian world. Number two, the coming of the Lord should be totally expected by us as Christians. And number three, we as Christians should live in a state of constant readiness for the coming of the Lord. And as I said, these teachings are exciting for us as Christians. We are expecting it. We won't be surprised by it. It's comforting for us because we know that through this event, we will be saved from the outpouring of God's wrath on this world. So let's live in the state of constant readiness with a joyful expectancy and, re and, yeah, and readiness. Let's encourage each other in this. Let's encourage each other to stay in the state of constant readiness. Let's build each other up so that we can be alert and sober at all times, waiting for the Lord's return. That's the lesson from this passage here. So I'm not sure where you all are at in this, in your own thinking. Um, but that's the lesson here. So I'm just going to give you your moment of silence again and, and just... Uh, Bow before the Lord in your own personal, in your own heart and just allow God to apply these truths to wherever you, you are at in your own individual life. Let God speak to you. I'll just give you a few moments.
with my uh, limited guitar playing ability. Probably just sing a couple in response to a couple of good old hymns about heaven, which we don't necessarily sing that often, but good, great old hymn. So let's stand and sing when the roll is called up yonder. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time will be no more And the morning breaks eternal bright and fair When the saved of earth shall gather over on the other shore And the roll is called up yonder I'll be there When the roll is called up yonder 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 i'll be there on that bright and cloudless morning when the dead in christ shall rise and the glory of his resurrection share and when chosen all will gather to their home beyond the skies And the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there When the roll is called up yonder When the roll is called up yonder When the roll is called up yonder when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Let us labor for the master from the dawn till setting sun. Let us talk of all his wondrous love and care. And when all of life is over and our work on earth is done, and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the roll is called up yonder, 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 I'll be there. And the last one we'll sing is uh, when we all get to heaven. When we all get to heaven, 
What a day of rejoicing that will be when we all seek Jesus. We'll sing and shout the victory. Onward to the prize before us. Soon His beauty will behold. Soon the pearly gates will open. We shall tread the streets of gold. When we all fit to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Praise and prayer time. Anybody have anything that you would like to say in regards to praising God this morning or something you'd like to request prayer for? Okay, let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord God, we want to thank you for the time we can be together here today. Thank you, Lord, for, for uh, just a chance to to hear your word together, to sing your praises together, to look forward to heaven together. And Lord, that's what gets us through the trials of this, of this world, is knowing that you're coming back and you're getting us out of here. And this world is, is going downhill, we know that. There's probably not a lot we can do about it, except be the Christians we need to be in our world and point people to Jesus so that when you return, they can get out of here too. And so, Lord, help us to be faithful in doing that. Thank you for your word and for what it says to us. Lord, we want to thank of those who are not with us this morning, uh, of our church family, Lord. Many are away for the long weekend. Uh, some are perhaps not here for other reasons. But, Lord, I just pray that you would grant us, or grant them your, your wisdom, your guidance in continuing on in their walk with you. Lord, I'm not sure if they're in another church this morning or maybe they are... Uh, going to listen online later on or whatever. I, I just don't know. But Lord, how I pray that you would continue to speak to them and, and draw them to you, feed them. Lord, I want to pray in a special way for uh, Bonnie and her family and her dad and uh, that whole family, Lord, uh, as they continue to mourn the loss of Sarah Dick. And uh, thank you, Lord, for the special lady she was. And thank you for the example that she left her kids and her grandkids and her community. And so, Lord, I pray those memories would stay with them. And, Lord, during these days ahead, especially for Bill, Lord, if there's a big hole in his life as he doesn't go and visit his wife anymore in the home and she, he doesn't have to think about all the logistics around her care anymore. And, or it's a big hole, and I just pray that you would be close to him and fill that hole as only you can. Continue to pray for Betty Richardson, that you would... Help her to recover from her surgery and give them wisdom regarding further treatments for Stephen Sharon, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that uh, hopefully that surgery could have happened already. I, I don't know, but Lord, how I pray that you would save that finger. You know how important hands are to a, to a carpenter and a craftsman as he is. And uh, so, Lord, I, I pray that uh, you would bring complete healing to him. Be with him. Hold him tight during this time. <clears throat> Lord, we want to think of our of our province and the reopen plan that has been laid out. And uh, Lord, you know we all want the regulations to be lifted. And so, Lord, I just pray that this could happen the way our premier has laid it out. I uh, I just pray that uh, you would undertake to, to to cause that to happen. Think of our neighboring provinces, though, Lord. They're both very much struggling. Uh, both Alberta and Manitoba, with case numbers really, really high. And Lord, I, I just pray that somehow you would bring an end to this in those provinces and uh, help them, Lord, to get this under control. Lord, we, speaking of our regulations, and I just pray for governments. Give them, Lord, your guidance. Give them, Lord, your, uh, 
your wisdom to know how to do this. And Lord, I pray that they would receive good advice, and I pray they'd follow that good advice that they give. And uh, so, Lord, just go before them. We pray that you would give them your guidance. And, Lord, more than anything, we pray that our government leaders, somehow through all of this, or because of all of this, or whatever reason, Lord, that they would, they would see you and look to you, and they would have their eyes, their minds turned to the gospel, and they would give their lives to you and accept you as Savior. And we pray you'd work that in their hearts. Lord, we know with the, with the vaccines, as Natasha has shared, there's, there's some hesitancy out there. There's people who are uncertain as to what direction to go. And I pray you give them wisdom. Wisdom that comes only from you. Lord, there's so much conflicting things out there, and, and it's hard to wade through it all. And it's hard to know that all are seemingly claiming to be backed by good science, and yet, Lord, they're conflicting. And so, Lord, I just pray, especially for parents and regarding their children, help them, Lord, just to see and understand uh, what they should do with their kids regarding these vaccines. Lord, we want to thank again of our brothers and sisters in the Lord who are in places of this world who are where they are being persecuted for their faith, where their lives are on the line just because they believe in Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray you be close to each one of them, help them, Lord, to stand strong in you and live for you. And no matter what the persecution is, they'd stay strong in you and just be a light to all that observe them facing the persecution. And, uh, Lord, we think of the situation in the Middle East. We, we just think of of all that is happening there and uh, has been happening for so many years and continues to happen. And yet we know, Lord, this is not outside your plan. Uh, you have foretold that things like this are happening, are going to happen. And so, Lord, we, we just ask for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are there in the middle of that, that they could be that light for you that they need to be. Lord, thanks for being here with us this morning. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us of your coming and the great encouragement and excitement that there is just knowing that you are going to return and get us out of here. It's exciting to look forward to. Help us, Lord, to live with that expectancy. And we pray all this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Larry. Remind everyone once again that uh, we continue to serve the Lord with our tithes and offerings, which is over there. So let's just bow and thank Him for that. Dear Jesus, we thank you that we can we can have a privilege of serving you in uh, in this way by giving of our tithes and offering. Our tithes are what is what you talked about and our offerings are more than the tithes and we just pray that as we do that you will bless them and be able to share with uh, your message with others this community and in other places we pray in your name we thank you amen um our announcements today are pretty straightforward i have a question how many people like watching on youtube christian comedians Anybody that's ever watched Christian comedians on YouTube or have a DVD of them? Or <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure Pastor Glenn does. So you read this and it's like, okay, I get it. <laughs> if we sent for a message, uh, the world was done tonight, you won't get that letter till long after we're gone. <laughs> and I, I heard a comedian, a Christian comedian says, uh, we know exactly when Jesus is going to return soon and everybody laughs right well it isn't so funny if you really think about it in depth anyway <laughs> i i love your sense of humor too um yeah so any, anybody got anything to add to the announcements anything no then uh 
If there is anything that comes up, I'm sure Pastor Glenn will inform us in one way or another. So. Okay, so kids, how do you do on your trivia test, trivia quiz? Did you listen to the sermon and get it all? So, as usual, uh, age 10 and under, you need four right. If you're over 10, you need them all right. So give your quiz to a trusted adult in your life or in this church. <laughs> and I'll give you the answers. So those of you who are marking, here are the answers. One, the rapture, or just rapture is good. Two, period of time when God brings judgment on the wicked, or an extended period of time when God brings something to that effect. Number three, the two words in the blanks are thief and night. Number four, peace and safety. Number five, answer is yes. Number six, the two words that go in the blanks are alert and sober. Boy, I had it easy for you guys. A bunch of the fill in the blanks. Those are easy. <laughs> uh, number seven, the two words are wrath and salvation. And number eight, uh, the three words are encourage, build, up. <laughs> So the sentence would read, we as Christians need to encourage one another and build one another up. Okay, so if you met the qualifications according to the person who was marking your test, you can come to me for a prize following the service. Let's close in prayer. Lord God, we're grateful to you for the time together, and as we go from here, may we take what we've learned with us and help us to put it into practice and to live our lives with that expectancy of your return. We pray this in your name. Amen.